G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Audio Podcast, the pre-round 18 edition. Uh, very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Good morning, beautiful morning in Melbourne. Gee, it's cold at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I love crisp, cold mornings. I, crisp. Could, live, I could live in Alaska. Could you? Well, I watch a lot of shows about Alaska, albeit from the comfort of my heated living room, but I enjoy those Alaska shows. I'd like to be, I'd like my day to be, what have you got on today? I've got to go out and shoot a caribou, check my <laughs> salmon traps and prepare for the long cold winter. Go and say good day to Sarah Palin or someone. Well, it's always political with you, isn't it? <laughs> no, she's the only Alaskan I can think of. Um, Don't you know the Kilchers? Oh, no, no, let's not go there. No, because there's something good about them. There's something very musical about them and I want to get your take. Okay, quick. So the Kilchers have... Uh, they're one of these famous, it's a family, they're in their seventh series about living in Alaska. Yeah. And then it became obvious in about the third or fourth series that one of the families had a daughter that wasn't living in Alaska on the edge of w- the wilderness. Yeah. And it's Jewel. Jewel? Jewel. The singer. Oh, Jewel, okay, yeah. Well, and she came back and... I was just thinking, whatever happened to Jewel? That's where she was. Um, so yeah. I, I used to have a crush on her. Okay. Yeah, no, someone else told me that recently too. It's been un- unhealthy really at our age. Um, are you a, so are you a summer man or a winter man? Um, I'm an extremes man. I love 40 plus yeah. or under zero. Okay. Well, I'm the, as you'd probably expect, being the sort of not glass half empty, but glass never had anything in it person that I am. <laughs> I'm in the middle of winter when it's like this. I'm going, geez, I wish it was summer. And then in summer when it's 40 degrees, I go, geez, I wish it was winter again. Anyway, let's get into it. Um, so plenty of news around this week. Gee, the um, discussion about Carlton uh, priority pick, where they're at, blah, blah, blah. Why won't Mark Judas say, talk to the media? How long has this been going on? I don't know how much we can keep talking about it. But it is an interesting principle that a few weeks ago they said they didn't want the priority pick. And they're sticking to it. Chris Judd has come out and said a priority pick's not going to solve the problem. I don't think it's a passionate argument because it's not pick one, it's pick 19. Mm. I, I guarantee you if it was like the old priority pick and it guaranteed Carlton the first two picks in this powerful draft, they'd be demanding it and it would be a major discussion. But I think people feel that a pick after the first round is helpful, but no panacea. So I think that's why they're sticking to their guns and saying, no, we said no, we can sort it out ourselves. What The part uh, I'm starting to get a bit testy with is this whole, you know, where is Mark Judas say? I demand to hear from him. Well, uh, he spoke twice on radio on Wednesday, I think. And you know what, like he's... I've seen comments attributed to him about where they're going and whatever, and what, what the people sort of, and that's basically the media, let's be honest, demanding that he front and give an explanation. What's he going to say? We know what he's going to say. I mean, what, what do they sort of want with this? It's all, it's all posturing. It's like, um, we could do an hour-long media watch this week. You know, Stephen Silvani's thing on Footy Classified, and the way that was pumped up, and you know, Silvani versus Caroline Wilson, who will take the points? Who took the points, Finey? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, cross the road to listen to that discussion. Well, I watched. Uh, I couldn't avoid it because it was some. They tweeted a bit of it, um, so I did watch that. But it's just, yeah, it becomes about the show rather than about the substance, which is sort of the Carlton thing in a nutshell to me. Like, I, you know, I've had some reasonably detailed discussions with Carlton people about what they're doing and being taken through the whole thing. And when you actually listen to that and look at the plan and whatever, it makes sense. And yes, there's been plenty of bumps in the road and yes, they're playing like crap now. 
But there's sort of, you know, it gets back to this sort of incessant media thing about, you know, we demand answers now. And, you know, if it hasn't worked in five seconds, uh, and it's just, it's so sort of superficial. So, okay, so Steve Silvani came on and argued Carlton's case passionately and Caro, you know, asked a few, you know, sort of probing questions. And just, so what? what? What changed at the end of that other than, you know, the various camps sort of got to pat each other on the back and say, oh, yeah, fixed her, fixed her up or fixed him up. Yeah, but, but just getting down to tin tacks on Carlton, I, I think that they were handled with kit gloves early on in the season where... By the media. Yeah, where losses that were close were um, given the tick and that performance was full of merit and this performance was full of merit. And I think there's a misinterpretation about the whole side. Because, again, I don't know whether it's because they're a powerful club that people are just in the media or just generally unfamiliar to really, you know, bash around the ears or just where the people get it wrong. And, and the take is, look, Colton are on the right track. They've got the core of really talented youth that have committed to the club and it's just a matter of time. We just give them 12 or 18 months. First of all, they've been given 12 or 18 months for the last 12 years. Uh, The truth is that the previous wave of top draft picks have failed. Cruiser is a fail. Mark Murphy is a fail. Bryce Gibbs was a fail. As... The, you know that's 12, 13 years ago, don't you? I'm saying. Yeah. But for 12 or 13 years, it's give it a few months. Now, when I say a fail, not terrible footballers, but a fail in what they not, were supposed to deliver yeah. on, on this 12 to 18-month wait for it. And to me, there's a big alarm bell for Carlton, and that is, look, it was great that Charlie Curnow re-signed long-term for the club. I think when a player re-signs for two seasons, that is a cause for grave concern. Kelly did it at GWS. I thought he signed for four. Kelly. No, Charlie. No, Kerno, long term. Yeah. But Paddy Cripps re-signed for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a cause for grave concern. We've got to move on because I I just, I didn't want to make this the main topic of discussion. I just, the figure that keeps coming back about Carlton is the drafts between 2009 and 2014, they drafted 30 players five of whom are still at the club. Yep. Now, that's they've, had, they've rebuilt from scratch. It's a six, seven, eight-year process in some cases, and they've had to fill some gaps along the way with guys they know aren't going to be part of the long term. Yeah, they've made mistakes, but it's so much more complicated than some people would have you believe, some people who like to get a cosy 30-second grab off a TV show. What I wanted to talk about, Finey, this story was a couple of days ago, and typically... Um, you know, it's a bit more complex and far-reaching, so it doesn't get the sort of blanket coverage a Carlton does. But Steve Hocking came out and spoke to the media a couple of days ago about the proposed rule changes. And, gee, was um, I mean, I admire his honesty. He all but confirmed that it's definitely going to happen. So he was talking about not just one rule change, i.e. starting zones, but a combination of things. So maybe whether that's starting zones and a reduction of the interchange or starting zones and longer goal squares or whatever. We've had three trials now. Hawthorne, Brisbane, Fremantle have done 20-minute trial games. I was at a um, IMC to a sportsman's night at Montrose Footy Club last night. Liam Shields was on the panel. And uh, really interesting, his comments about playing in that game and the difference that it made. He said it was... And this, I think, is um, what Steve Hocking and the AFL have taken their cues from. Those exhibition games, though we haven't heard that much about them, apparently the difference was absolutely stark in the time and space the midfielders had produced higher scores. So we've got one more of these trial games to go with St Kilda. <clears throat> um, and But it seems like, the way he was talking, it's a fait accompli that it's going to happen. Now, I'll get your thoughts. I'm... I'm not as freaked out about it as a lot of people because I, I think, I do think we need to do something more radical than we have to affect a change to get back to the sort of football that was far more routine on a week to week basis 
15, 20 years ago. My big reservation is whether we're going to be bringing this stuff in on the back of enough of a trial. Um, so I don't know how much... If they're pr- planning to bring it in for next season, there's only so much they can do. You know, they've, they've had four, four trial games. You could do it in the pre-season. That's not enough for me. These are uh, fundamental changes to the game, and I think they deserve a longer trial period. So m- my idea was, and, you know, I don't know, maybe they would think about this, but... I reckon um, they should bring actually bring this stuff in to the VFL competition for next year. Play a whole season of the VFL under these rules with starting positions. Have a look at a a body of evidence of you know um, how many games, 150 odd games, and then you've actually got a reasonable sample size. Because if the sample size isn't big enough, and the uh, it turns out that those changes overreach. Then I don't know where we, how we come back from there, and, and it's, it's, we might have wrecked the game. Okay, I mean, there's a lot to consume and process. Starting positions, to me, there's only an upside for starting positions. It, it's not, it doesn't. The, the big question is how long it takes to implement after a goal to ensure that. The starting positions. When we talk about starting positions, it's about having, and what are they working on? Six in the forward fifty. Yeah, 50. three per side yeah. in each fifty. Yeah, six people in the forward fifty, six in the forward defensive fifty. That's I mean per with both teams. Yeah. How long does it take to guarantee that happens? I don't think very long. I think that's easily implemented. The great change to football would be. If when the ball was in play, a player from each team or players from each team were restricted in movement. Because to me, one of the basic tenets of Australian rules football is every player can go anywhere at any time. And the distinction between other codes is no offside. You know, most of the other football codes, rugby, rugby league, of course, soccer, have offside, which is a real restriction on movement. And the psyche of the game is very different. However, just let me chip in there. You're talking about the theory rather than the reality because for 80% of the game's history, at least three forwards, if not more, would never have moved out of what is the inside 50 now anyway. Of course. And as soon as we put the diamond in play in 1972, quickly replaced by the square, Mm. we did have starting positions. Yeah. So it's not alien to the game to have starting positions. Which is funny because I, we're both old enough to, to remember that and I it didn't cause that big a kerfuffle. No. No, <laughs> and it worked pretty quickly. It did. Um, the question is whether they can make more of the centre square. I, I think one thing that could be done, one thing that does sort of confuse me is, and this only happens sometimes, but there are often re-ball, you know, the ball is balled up or thrown up, bounced down or thrown up in the centre, mm. and then there's a second bounce. Yeah. Now, that second bounce is anybody can be anywhere then. Yeah. I think any stoppage in the centre square should be four, four from four. each side. That's a good idea. I'll tell you another one. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. Um, the other thing I was thinking about this is, and, and this is the concern of a lot of players, have they exhausted all the other options? I'm not sure they have. Now, here's a good example of how something is introduced and then it's basically counteracted or reversed by another rule change. Definitely, I reckon this is probably five, six years ago, we were told at an umpiring briefing, the umpires are going to, um, and it came into play too with the elimination of the bounce down around the ground, the umpires are going to restart play more quickly. And it's logical, You, you, you allow fewer players to congregate. That though has been completely annulled by this nominating of the ruckman. It means that there's an even bigger delay before a stoppage than there used to be, which attracts more players to the stoppage. So that's the first thing they could do is get rid of a nomination thing. The other thing, though, and I keep banging on about this, it's one thing for the umpire to go through the process of balling it up more quickly, but what about when he calls the ball up? Now you watch. That's a key. Well, absolutely. But why do we seem to be the only people that talk about this? If you look at any footage of footy from the seventies 
even in the 80s, mid-80s. Have a look at it. I would ask you now, if you're listening to this, get on YouTube, find a game from the 80s, have a look at it. The ball will be in dispute. Two players will be jostling for the ball. A third comes in, a fourth, maybe a fifth. The umpire will never, ever let the play go beyond that. Will call for the ball up. And you watch it now sometimes and you think, geez, he's called that early. But in calling it early, you didn't have all these bees coming around the honeypot. I can tell you why. I mean, there seems to be a delay often with the whistle. It, it, it goes on too long. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And I remember... And when, I know why it happens. Well, I, you tell me in a sec. I, I remember Jeff Gershman, when he was Director of Umpiring. I remember asking him about that. And he said, they're letting it go because they were getting too many secondary ball-ups. And they thought if they let it go for a bit, hoping the ball would come out, they could avoid a secondary ball-up. But all it does is... Create the... Create the yeah. Melt, create the, so, so what's your... Well, first, first of all, back, back 20 <clears throat> minus years ago... Mm. Basically, when the ball came to a dead stop with two players, that was it. That was enough. Mm. You know, if the ball, you know, wasn't moving, the whistle was blown quickly and thrown up. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, and that was the way to do it. Why isn't it happening today? KPIs. Because umpires are judged and their progress through the ranks and on to finals and ultimately their goal for grand finals are based on KPIs, on freeze incorrectly given on freeze missed, but on also the flow of the game. And they self-police on two things. They self-police on when to call a ball up. So if they are balling it up less around the ground, then in some umpires' minds, they're meeting their KPIs. I'll let it go a little bit longer. If it gets out, that's a tick for me. Yeah. The other thing that they self-police on is recalling the centre bounce. And you'll see that some umpires are quite harsh on themselves, but I find quite a few centre bounces, given that there's a mechanism for a recall, are completely unfair, but it's called play on, because the less time you recall the centre bounce, the better it is on your KPI. So it's another rod they've created for their own back. I will say this. Luke Hodge was um, commentating on the weekend. He wasn't playing, Mm. and he was part of one of the commentary teams. And he inadvertently, I believe, gave an insight into the psyche of a former Hawthorne footballer. Because I believe Hawthorne, through their great success in the three consecutive premierships, did something specifically, and it very much affected the flow of the game. And the Hawthorne psyche was that when the ball was in dispute, that they would always prefer a stoppage than randomly releasing the ball. Mm. Now, what players do constantly, and the umpires should be free-kicking all the time, it's not the time it takes to be tackled. If you get the ball and are instantly tackled, a lot of umpires call that no prior and allow the ball to be bounced. If your hands are free, you have prior opportunity. And And there was an incident on the weekend where a player... Uh, it was in the goal square, and he had the ball in his hands, and it ended up being squeezed out in a tackle, and a goal was scored. And Hodge was commentating, and he said, that should never have happened. He should have pulled, pulled the ball into himself and made it impossible for it to squeeze free, which I felt always was the Hawthorne way. Mm. Now, umpires need to be vigilant it's not the time for prior opportunity between the player getting the ball and the tackle. It's whether or not the player has the opportunity to release the ball. And I think the umpires have almost bought into, if you can't release it to a teammate, you don't have to release it. No. Sorry, if your hands are free, then you need to just get it out into play into a random situation. Well, so you're on the same page as Nathan Buckley, because he's been big on this, get rid of what we now interpret as prior opportunity, and it, that would um, speed everything up, basically. So, yeah, look, I'm 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 sympathetic to that as well. We've got to wind this up just quickly. Um, Paddy Dangerfield, I think, um, had an interesting take on this, which was let me ha- guess. Yeah. Sixteen games a season, running for no, no, fifteen no. minutes each. No, no, <laughs> I, 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 I was told that he, I was told that he had suggested that. 
they could bring starting positions into effect without anyone even knowing the AFL could get a tacit agreement from all clubs that they would leave one key forward inside the 50. That's an interesting idea because, as Steve Hawking said the other day, we have starting positions now, and he's right. At stoppages, every player will know where they're supposed to be standing. It's not it's not formal and there's no penalty. And sorry, that's the other thing we didn't... The other big important part of this is if the players aren't in the starting positions, what is the penalty? Is it a free kick? Um, how how hard is it to judge that if two players uh, err at the same time? That's the thing. Yeah, so that's a big part of it too. Is there a penalty or do you just wait until they are in the starting position? Yeah, well, that could be exploited, obviously. So they were talking about, if not free kicks, maybe uh, reducing their interchange rotations or, you know, uh, fines or whatever. But it's it's going to have to be suitably heavy enough to you know impinge on their ability to win the game. Now, when we talk about starting positions, is it after every goal and at the start of every quarter? No, my understanding is stoppages. Every stoppage. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. So, And this gets back to my point. There's so much work that needs to be done. There's so many potential consequences that we probably haven't considered. You've got to have a year-long trial of something this profound. My last word on this is, back in the day, when... The biggest change in football, the biggest investment ever in the VFL was the building of VFL Park Waverley, correct? Uh, yep. I mean, that was a huge investment in the future. Yep. The What was the psychology behind building that ground? Uh, demographic centre of no, Melbourne. No, no, the actual dimensions of the ground. I can't remember. What, what? It was that as players became fitter and more athletic... Mm the grounds needed to be bigger oh yeah 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 to accommodate the evolution of man yeah so they built the biggest ground ever mm. unfortunately we have built a number of grounds in recent years that have not understood a basic precept of football and that is glenferry road was dispensed with because it was too small yeah you know the actual and size money. the actual size of the ground will determine how congested a game of football is. It doesn't have to be a lot bigger, but you make these grounds bigger and congestion ends. Yeah, well, standardising ground sizes, I think, is something perhaps we might have done before we started building all these new stadiums. That's another sort of anomaly between us and most other sport or football codes in the world. We, we've got to get on with it, but this is a discussion I think we should keep having because take all your little knee-jerk news stories that are news for five minutes this is the one that's going to have the most profound impact on the AFL for next year. Let's move on. On Footyology, Media Watch. Ah, oh, yes. Always plenty of fodder for this. And uh, particularly so this week, Finey, because um, we often find ourselves talking about in-stories, you know, uh, sort of stories from the inner sanctum of the media. But this one has been played out very publicly. I speak of the Nick Natanui very unfortunate knee injury and we all feel terrible for Nick Nat and we hope we get to see him again at his peak. Um, it's a bit of a, in footy terms, a tragedy. But this is about the aftermath and uh, West Coast catching their flight home. If you're not across this, a camera crew or media assembled at Perth Airport uh, waiting to shoot some footage of his return. A West Coast official... Um, subsequently revealed to be their integrity officer, Peter Staples, uh, got very shirty with the cameraman and basically ran over to him and sort of shoved him out of the way and tried to stop him filming, and it all got very ugly. And um, the the consequences of that have played out over several days. Now, um, so, so it's a very public story, but... Uh, the reaction's been interesting too. I, as soon as I saw the footage of it, I thought, oh, that is beyond the pale. And I tweeted something appropriately, knowing when I tweeted it that, uh, I, I think I just so you know what I said, I said something like, uh, this wasn't media harassment. The cameraman was at a respectful distance. No one was shoving a mic under Nick Nat's nose or anything. Um, <clears throat> this West Coast official needs a massive kick up the ass. Now that, um, 
I actually got more support for that than I thought I might, because as you know, the media is a pretty free whack for people. We're not the uh, we're not people's favourite uh, sector of the working community. Um, but so plenty of people thought, yeah, that's ridiculous. And uh, but predictably, a lot of people said. You know, typical media, leave the guy alone. Why did you need the footage? What, what, what was so, such a big deal about a guy on crutches getting off the plane? Um, and then a, there was another group that just saw it as a chance to talk about gutter journalism. I love, I love that phrase. You can use it for anything. You know, like if I'm, if we're living together and we wake up in the morning and, um, I ask you to make me some toast and you burn the toast, you know, you can say, uh, you can hand me the toast and I go, you burn my toast, Viney. That's gutter journalism. It's just sort of applied to these things <laughs> totally indiscriminately. I am still aghast at the thought of us living together. <laughs> no, no. It was, it was, trust me, it was hypothetical. That, w- that would come with the following music. The problem being that we're... We're, we're both Oscar Madison. Yeah, exactly. Who'd <laughs> <laughs> be the Felix? Maybe Carl could be the Felix. <laughs> Carl doesn't know what we're talking about because Carl's about 15 years old. Um, no, he's not. Anyway, um, so look, I, in a nutshell, my view was um, that, yeah, the cameraman was, you know, it was 20 metres away at least. They weren't in his face. No one was asking him questions, so it wasn't like your typical media scrum, and I thought the guy just patently overreacted. Um, now, there's been different views of what happened. So later that night, someone uh, in the Perth media messaged me. Actually, it was Tanya Armstrong. She actually tweeted it and said, for a bit of background for people, that the media had made an arrangement with the club to shoot footage of Natanui on the proviso no one had talked to him. He didn't want to talk. So they said, we will be there. We'll shoot footage for the news. Uh, all good. Uh, and West Coast agreed to this, and then what happened wasn't in the script at all. Adam Simpson then, uh, I think on, was it Wednesday morning, might have contradicted this when he was interviewed, saying that the media were where they weren't supposed to be. And I thought, now, this is interesting. We've got two very contrasting versions of this. So yesterday I put my footyology uh, newsbreaker hat on finally, and we're going to talk about that too. And... Um, I have arrived at, after talking to several people who were there uh, and several people who know the details of the media relationship with the club, this, as I understand it, is exactly what happened. So, um, the West Coast had their media officer, Ben Roberts is, is his name. He, Ben, travelled with the team to Melbourne and he was contacted um, there was Perth media here with in Melbourne with the team watching the game, flying back. But the, the Perth media still in Perth also contacted Ben to find out what the arrangements were about the flight back and could they speak to Nat Nui. A deal was made. Nat Nui didn't want to speak, but the Eagles would put someone up and the media could shoot him getting off the plane from a distance. All good. Everyone's happy. So the plane lands. Um, the other players are interviewed. They're all happy and whatever. Everyone's, everyone's fine. No Nat Nui. Couldn't be seen. So, uh, turned out that Peter Staples, who was sort of a, been appointed as Nick Nat's minder, had changed the plan at the last minute. Now, from a media perspective, he, he shouldn't be doing that. Like he's, he's taken that sort of executive decision himself. The media asked Ben Roberts, what the hell was going on, he didn't know what was going on, so it was news to him as well. Uh, I'm told all the players were in good spirits, chatting to the media all happily. Um, Shannon Hearn and Andrew Gaff were standing around talking to the media about the World Cup and about Wimbledon. The media hung around for a while while they were picking up their bags and everything, talking to Ben Roberts. Uh, at about, so I've got very precise times on this, at about 11.43 p.m., Lockie Reed from Channel 10 spotted Nad Nui 150 metres away standing under some lights. And you can see footage of that where they see Nat Nui in the distance. The cameras rushed over because they didn't have the footage they'd been told they could have. Stood about 15 metres away and filmed for about two minutes before the car arrived. And Nick Nat went to get in the car. And that's when Peter Staples lost his rag and went bananas. According to someone who was there, it came from nowhere. So, like, every, everyone was happy and smiling, and all of a sudden, Peter Staples was thrown a wobbly. 
So this contradicts what Adam Simpson said on SEN, which was that the camera, the cameramen weren't waiting out the back. Um, the people I speak to think that, and that's not having a go at Simo, they reckon that Simo probably doesn't know the full story. Um, it sounds like there's been a bit of a, a bit of strife between the West Coast media department and the football department. So they've been at loggerheads about what should have happened. Uh, apparently the footy guys reckon that Ben sort of shouldn't have given the media that access, which I think is wrong. I think it's quite natural that Perth media wants shots of Nick Nat arriving back in Perth. So the whole thing, you know, had Peter Stables not lost his marbles for a couple of minutes and they just let him shoot two minutes of Nick Nat on crutches, it would have been forgotten about five seconds later. Now in trying to protect Nick Nat Nui, Peter Staples has kept him in the public spotlight for another three days. So that, as I understand, is exactly what happened. Now, you dispute that if you like, but that's from very, very good sources, i.e. people who were there. Well done. Good investigative journalism. So what do you make of all that? Who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, probably who cares, but the... I just put a lot of work into that. No, over in Perth, it would be a bit of a, a, an issue. And look, it is an issue in terms of the ongoing relationship for the media and West Coast Eagles. You know, no cameraman, by the way, should be, you know, physically dealt with whilst simply doing his job. So there are issues here. Um, it seems as though West, the problem here was uh, poor communication within the West Coast Eagles camp mm. has caused this incident. But also, Peter Staples' inability to, on the spot, you know, feel the zeitgeist, you know, just get a sense of what's happening here, simply get into the car with Nick Nat, continue on your way, and, you know, Robert's your father's brother. No problems. But he obviously, you know, railed at what he felt was encroaching by the media, even though it seemed to be at a respectful distance, and we had this incident. The funny thing is that Nick Nat is such an easygoing dude. I think the fact that he said he doesn't want to talk, he would have allowed cameras. Exactly. He that wouldn't was, have, yeah, he, he wouldn't have cared. He's, he's, a good, he's a good kid. Yeah. He's a good kid. And also... Reasonably, media savvy enough to realise, to understand why they would have wanted... Now, a lot of people said to me on Twitter, why do we need the shots? What does the shots tell you? We knew he'd done his knee. You know, obviously he's going to be on crutches. I get that. But TV is a visual medium. Yeah, you're telling the story, exactly. So then people are saying, well, why couldn't you show the footage of him just doing his knee? Well, you could, but if you're a Perth TV station and you know that he's injured his knee, you need... An update on that. It's, a, mean, big, that's it's what, a big story in well, WA. Well, that's what news is. It's new. Yeah. And what was new was in Perth was him arriving back in Perth. Of course. Of and course. and I defy anyone who's sort of arguing the toss on this. If they were in that position of news director, of course you'd want that shot. Yeah. And especially because it's a competitive industry and there are three networks and the ABC vying for those shots, and Fox Sports and whatever. And if you're in charge of one of those networks, you want the up-to-date shot. So you can say, we had footage of him, you know, our, we go, we, our news report is at X hours, we've got the shot of him arriving home, and they're still using stock footage from the game. You know, mm. we're better. Yeah. Uh, to that end... Why not just get some stock footage of the last time he did his knee, have him on crutches then, and then reverse the image because it was the different knee, wasn't it? So it'd have to be like the, you know, be like footage of Nick Natnui arrived home yesterday yeah. and just a shot of him on crutches outside some medical office. Well, this is the fallacy about that. If you want to take that to the nth degree, every time we have, uh, say, um, you know, the Iraqi war, they could have just shown file pictures of World War Two. This is what a war looks like. This is a previous war. <laughs> so, um, look, that's about it. I, I will say this, that, you know, I, when I saw it initially, I thought this guy, Peter Staples, who's an ex-copper over there, apparently someone not to be trifled with. But initially I thought, oh, that's, get off the, your high horse, mate. What a hero. Having sat down and thought about it, apparently he's pretty close to Nick Nat, spent a lot of time with him. He would have been sitting next to him on the plane and seen firsthand his 
devastation of what had happened. So I, I, I'm a bit more sympathetic to him than I was a couple of days ago. But the, give the cameraman a break. I mean, the guy, and it's, yeah, I, I'm going to say just doing his job. And people say, well, you know, what about at Nuremberg? You couldn't say just doing my job. Well, it's not Nuremberg. It's, it's, let's get it in perspective. And according to Simo, Nick Nat himself, said after the game, look, you know, I'm not dead, you know, I'm still alive. So he had some perspective on it. Yeah, that to me is the sort of salient point. That is, the bloke just would have said, okay, carry on. You know what? I have a different perspective on it now. If he is uh, uh, an ex-police officer from WA, then surely he understands assault laws. He had no right to do that. Yeah. And I'm sorry, especially as an ex-officer of the law, Okay, a hot-headed club official in a moment of madness might not have a reference point. Yeah. He should be charged. I'm not sure the WA police operate by the same guidelines uh, other police do, Finey. I think... Uh, he should be charged. Well, he doesn't need to be charged, hey, but... Well, I've seen it happen. That's yeah. Com- that's common assault. If, if, I'm, if I'm doing my job, especially in concert and under an agreement with the club... It's not my fault if the club has a lack of communication. Mm. Now, I don't want to take this to the nth degree because I hate that sort of what if, what if, what if. But a cameraman carries quite a lot of heavy equipment. And it's actually wrong, you know, to physically assault oh, a cameraman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And look, we've seen it, you know, several times outside courts. Court, yeah. And, and you're sort of not condoning it, but you understand more what happens there. But cameramen have been hurt, you oh, know. Family member of named, yeah. named Deleted. Yeah. You just <laughs> yeah. see the camera push back. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, look, we've got to move on. But anyway, that is, I reckon that's about the most definitive account of what happened in that incident you're going to yeah, no, see. Good. So uh, if you hear this and people are still going on about it, direct them to this account of what happened. Now, you Pretty ology, ology, <laughs> Breaking news. Exclusive, <laughs> which is a good segue because that's exactly what you want to talk about. Go. Newsbreaker. Okay. Newsbreaker. Where, where, where are you know, going? Big trumpeting of the newsbreaker on your <clears throat> radio station, which I, which I no longer equate to my former station because it's that different, SEN. Yeah. Um, making a big deal about Sam McClure being the newsbreaker. Yeah. And not surprising, given that the station is run by Craig Hutchison, who made his name as a newsbreaker. All right, just let me very quickly say that Sam does get some decent news stories. Okay, that's fine. He but, does. But uh, this week, a lot of the trumpeting was about the breaking of, not the wrist, but the fact that James Sicily had broken his wrist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or his scaphoid. Yep. Uh, since when is an injury breaking news? Yeah, so what you're saying in summary is that they're just the first ones to report it. Yeah, so the club would have released yeah. information that James Sicily is breaking his scaffold. He's out from. Are you sure he didn't find that out before they released the info, though? A big deal if he did. Yeah, no. Well, It's, it's an injury. Okay. comes out in injury reports. This whole thing about... Does it matter if I hear it at 10.30am yeah. or at 3pm? No, exactly. And look, the premium on exclusives has been completely diminished by the internet because now when one of the major media organisations has an exclusive, it's exclusive for two and a half minutes, the time it takes for the other media outlets to see it and and do a spoiler on it. To me, me, breaking news is a story that either we otherwise may never have heard about that is brought to public light, a a la, you know, a... What's it called? A um, Watergate. Yeah. All right. That's a, that's the greatest breaking story of all time. But it's breaking a story that was not meant to be heard, or uh, the announcement that is made public way before it was supposed to be released by club or by league or by player. I think your first definition is the right one. It's it's uh, new, news that we wouldn't otherwise know were this person not to reveal it. Or way before time. So I'm thinking the two examples are maybe maybe a player in discretion, as much as I don't like those stories. Yeah. Um, certainly a player um, club movement. Yeah. Confirmed, you know, and that's one that you'd find out eventually. So, yeah. you know... Gary Ablett's agreed to go to the Gold Coast. If that's broken weeks before either club intended to announce it, then that's breaking news. Or the sacking of a coach, and that might be 
days or, or, or a week before it's supposed to be heard. What about, but, but, what, what about a mooted merger of clubs? Yeah, I'm saying those sort of things, you, you. <laughs> I know, I, that, I, you? I, I'm giving myself a, a bit of a week there. Um, yep. yeah, well, 96, the year of the mergers, oh, yeah. the Sunday age, we broke. Fitzroy. And it's no, no small achievement Fitzroy, for a Sunday Fitzroy. paper to do it. No, no, Fitzroy, North Melbourne. Oh, Fitzroy, oh, Fitzroy North Melbourne. Which hadn't been talked about publicly okay. at all. Okay. And then a month later, you had oh, the Melbourne Hawthorne one. Well before. That was 89. Yeah, well before. Yeah. Um, no, so I'm saying, okay, fair enough if you've brought the story forward in some cases days, in some cases weeks, or in some cases to public attention when it wasn't meant to be made public at all. But you are not breaking news by telling the public that a player has an injury when it's going to be or has been released by the club and you simply have access to airtime before anybody else. You know, yeah. SEN's a 24-hour sports station. Yeah. Sam can jump on at any time. Oh, you know, just found out from the club that James Sisley's out for six weeks and he can do that quicker than any other the, station the, the, because the, he's got access to getting straight on to... Um, Jared's program or whoever. Yeah. That's not breaking news. Well, the, the the other part to this is that the public don't give a toss about who who broke which story or who's got an exclusive. The worst offenders with this, incidentally, are The Australian, the newspaper The Australian, yep. who are famous for, at the front of the paper, that half their stories will have exclusive on them. And Media Watch does this all the time. They'll highlight, no, well, that was written six months ago, that was written three months ago. Exclusive, yeah, it's exclusive in your paper, but you're, you know, you're three months after someone else wrote it. And the public say time and time again, and I'm with them on this, they don't give a toss. So when some self-important print journal sends out a tweet saying, as you read first in Super Footy, which is the Herald Sun's, uh, footy website, read into that where I'm going with that. But there are certain offenders on this, Finey. They do it all the time. As you as revealed on Super Footy, just tell us what the bloody story is, mate, you know? You know, you know I've only ever read The Australian at 26,000 feet and cruising. Yeah. Or however high Best thing you could have done is uh, open the door and toss it out from 26,000 feet. Well, then everybody would have got sucked out of the plane. I mean, The, the, Austra- the Australian is now exclusively the province of angry, embittered, old white men banging on about a world that will never be revisited. And that fr- overuse of the exclusive tag isn't their greatest crime. Their greatest crime is running the absolute drivel of Chris Kenny in its pages. <laughs> you, you know, it used to provide a very important service. People can't believe this. So, uh, just very quickly, children today and young adolescents and even early 20s will not believe this, but when I travelled around Europe in 1986, 85, 86, 89, 90, there was no internet and there was very little access to Australia when you're in Turkey or when you're in Greece, etc. So as we'd come back from the Greek islands or the Turkish south coast and go through capital cities, a big highlight was to go to the offices of Qantas and sit in their offices and read the Australian and catch up with footy ladders, yeah, yeah. Um, scores, and it was all done with the Australian newspaper, Qantas offices, and literally, other than spending valuable money on long phone calls home, that was the only way you could find out footy scores. So I would sit in there and literally, you know, try to work out five weeks of lost football and what had happened to the ladder. We've lost the mystique of travelling the globe now, haven't we? It's all too easy. I mean, I was well, the in... globe's become well, a very a very close place, hasn't well, it? Well, I was in actually China still has restrictions on the internet, so not as easy there. But when I was in Hong Kong, I was lying on a comfy hotel bed watching the Carlton Essendon game on on my mini iPad. You know. Well, can I tell you something amazing? True, as I sit here, we arrive in Prague, myself and a mate called Ash weary travellers through Eastern Europe where literally access to anything was very difficult because it was 1989 and the wall was coming down. Mm. It was a fantastic time and a fascinating time to be in Eastern Europe. We arrive in Prague and at the train station there were a number of individuals, rather than going to a hotel, individuals would wait for incoming trains and offer you home accommodation. Sort of an early version of, what's it called when you... That thing now on the internet and on the app that you share accommodations, you can live in. Oh, um, 
Airbnb. Correct. An early version of Airbnb. So we get picked up by this guy with a moustache, speaks really good English, go to his place in Prague. It's 11 o'clock at night or something, or even later, turn on the TV, and it was 1989. Now, who did who did Hawthorne play in the prelim? In 89. Yeah. They didn't, because they won the oh, second so semi. So the second semi? Yeah. Sorry? They played Essendon in That's, the second semi. I was going to say Essendon. I just wanted it to be correct. Yeah. We turn on the TV... No idea that this guy ever that there was anything to do with Australia, and it's Essendon Hawthorne, yeah, on TV at one o'clock a.m. Yeah, in Prague, yeah. And the guy goes, "That's pretty good." But it was on that station, yeah. And the guy goes, "I love Australian football." He goes, yeah. "Can you explain it to me?" Okay. And we sat so there did. with a Czech bloke watching footy. Okay, we've got to move on. It's been a particularly interesting segment this week. Just quickly though, being in Eastern Europe, nineteen eighty nine would have been incredible. Did you get to Moscow? No, but East Germany Germany was amazing. A pity, because I was hoping you would say yes, so I could then say to you, of course, that period, as soon as you talked about the wall coming down, whatever, first thing, what do you reckon the first thing came to my head was? Pink Floyd. Down to Gorky Park and listen to the winds of change. No, you can't tell anything more. Oh, quickly, quickly. You've got to stop doing this. Hurry up. People find this interesting. So you go to East Germany, right? Yeah. And you have to change the official money, and it's one Deutschmark for one US dollar, and for every day you're there, you have to change 10. So we went there for three days, 30 Deutschmarks, East German Deutschmarks, we got for 30 US dollars. As soon as we got over the border, we could change one US dollar on the black market for 95,000 East German Deutschmarks. Wow. Yeah, okay. So they forced you to change one for one. And then you got 95000 for one. Yeah, that's a good deal. Okay, that was Currency Watch coming off the back <laughs> of Media Watch. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, we're going to really punch through these. We're going to uh, stick to what they're supposed to be. St Kilda Richmond, Friday night, Etihad Stadium, 7.50pm. What happens, Finey? Or yeah. remember what happened last year? Well, first of all, what happens is everybody buys a scarf. It's Maddie's game. Well oh, yes. supported by both Very good sides of the Rewalt family. And St Kilda were perfect in purple last year and played pretty well against Richmond at the MCG this year. So they match up okay against the Tigers. And Richmond coming off a loss. Yeah, which means they're not going to lose two in a row. Probably. Look, it'll be a nice competitive game. St Kilda are giving some youngsters a go and Richmond will win the game. Hopefully St Kilda, from the Saints fans' perspective, won't lose any momentum because they've won three out of their last four. But Richmond will win. They're definitely not as good at Eddie Had Richmond as the G. No, they're not. But they had a very good win there against Sydney last up. Yeah, they did. that's true. And that yeah. sort of, you know, broke a few of those perceptions. So yeah. they can play there. Yeah. yeah I actually, th- Rewalt really likes playing there. I think Richmond will win. They won't necessarily smash them. Okay, yeah. so we're both going for the Tigers. Uh, massive game Saturday afternoon, one forty-five. Uh, Collingwood, North Melbourne at the MCG. Now... Who'd have thought that'd be a massive game at the start of the year? But North have been great. Gee, they were stiff. When I say stiff, not they should have won, but just came out in the wrong end of the, a classic game against Sydney, in which they played brilliantly. Collingwood um, not taught a lesson, but uh, I think uh, some of the bullishness about Collingwood might have come back to the field after losing to West Coast at the MCG. It sort of, in fact, it demonstrated a bit of fragility about their defence and how a decent uh, forward line with good marking targets can trouble them, which is interesting coming up against North Melbourne uh, vis-a-vis Ben Brown. This is such an interesting game. You know, North can stretch them down forward, North's forward line, because they're tall. And I just wonder who plays on Magjack Door. Sydney just had the right matchup in Alir Alir. Mm. And if Darcy Moore plays on Brown, who plays on Magjack? Yeah, well, but what about if uh, if Cox comes back for Collingwood, does Magic necessarily play forward? Maybe they put Magic back. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, there's really, there's lots of tactical and positional possibilities with this game. Ultimately... And, and they have a relationship also, Brad Scott and um, Nathan Buckley, you know, I think they're pretty good mates. Yeah, well, Brad... Work, work together. Yeah, and, Brad was at Collingwood as yeah. a development coach, an yeah. assistant coach. Um, look, ultimately, I'm sticking with the pies. Uh, 
I think they're probably slightly better at the MCG than the Roos. I that's, think that's my take. MCG. Pa- yeah, pace is a bit of an issue for the Roos. Not that Collingwood are overly quick, but I think midfield numbers and quality, just depth of quality, might get them. And that's not. Gee, Sean Higgins is playing some fantastic footy. And uh, what about Zebel too, as a smaller forward? He's yeah, been strong. terrific. So I think this will be tight. Um, and I'll give the Roos every chance, but I'm going for the Pies. Big ask for Goldstein here, you see, because they want to play Magjack as that key forward. Yep. Last week, Goldstein rucked all game. Yep. He did really well, but he looked exhausted at the end of the game. Yeah. MCG's bigger and Brodie Grundy's better than Callum Sinclair. Yeah. I think that's where... Collingwood might get off the leash. I reckon Grundy might be a man on a mission this week too because I thought Scott Lysette was able to negate him yeah. after they lost yes. Matt Nui. So I reckon yes. Grundy's pride will be stung a bit by that. Good point. All right, next um, Saturday game, 2.10pm. It's at the SCG. It's Sydney and Gold Coast. Well, Watch it at your own peril. Yeah, look, it's it, again, could be ugly. Gold Coast, uh, I watched... Yeah, I sort of half-watched that game, to be honest. I was watching Richmond GWS more. But Gold Coast did what they now seem to do every week. They turned up for about a half and then packed it in. 13! 13! You reckon Buddy will kick 13? No, I reckon Sydney will win by 13 goals. I reckon they'll... I'll give a margin. 79 points. All right, I'll give a margin 54. Okay. Okay, comfortable win for the Swans. Uh, Twilight game Saturday, the one that gets lost in the wash all the time. 4.35 Saturday afternoon, Etihad Stadium. Essendon taking on Fremantle. Not necessarily a stroll in the park for the Bombers here. They weren't, they did what they had to against Gold Coast, but their first half was pretty awful. And the Dockers had a great win over Port at home, admittedly. Yes, they've been awful on the road, but... Last start at Eddie had, they smashed Carlton. Yeah, good point. That's what I was thinking. Last time there, first half, they were superb. I reckon you can tell Frio's state of mind about halfway through the first quarter. Yep. Yep. So tune in. Tune in 15 minutes into the game and you know whether we've got a well, live one. What's your tip? Oh, Essendon will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Essendon, not necessarily by a heap. You know, look, there's still a flicker of finals hopes there, although I did my ladder predictor and I had them missing out by two games. So they're pretty... Slim, but we're both going for the Bombers there. Yeah. All right, now this isn't a far more interesting game than you might have thought. Saturday evening at the Gabba, a resurgent Brisbane taking on Adelaide. The I wrote a piece of footyology.com.au. Check it out, Brisbane fans, if you want to have a look. I reckon they have been one of the best stories of the season. The Lions have now won their last three. Um, and those wins include against Fremantle in Perth and Hawthorne at the supposed fortress in Launceston they have been terrific and it's starting to really come together for them at home um, big challenge for Adelaide who who were really good against Geelong it seems like an eternity ago now but that is a big danger game for the Crows oh, oh, Brisbane for mine you're tipping Brisbane yeah yeah they're, I mean they're on a crest of a wave yeah but with very good players yeah yeah some of those young guys are really starting to do it consistently like Hipwood he puts kicked 16 goals in the last five games. And what a different to play him. Isn't it? It's counterintuitive, but by playing him further up the ground, mm. he's got more lever and he's kicking more goals. Yeah. You would have thought play him, you know, they would say, play him in the goal square, like yeah, the Jack yeah, yeah. Rewalt theory, if he's not kicking goals. They've got him into the game. Him, Rayner and McLuggage play well every week now. Yeah, exactly. That's, they were the two names I was going to say. Rayner and McLuggage really taken massive... Steps over the last five, six weeks. And I want to just mention their sort of defenders like Leicester and, oh, who was the, uh, Josh Walker. Yeah, Walker um, was great on Roughhead last you know, week. They've, they've got guys, and there's the other one who plays down back there. They're, they're becoming very underrated week in, week out performers. Now, I'm happy to tip Brisbane. I'm going for Adelaide just because uh, I think they might have their mojo back in finals, like Essendon, slim, but whilst there's life, there's hope. So I'm no going for no the walker Crows. because of an indiscretion. Yeah, well, it makes a difference. No, I'll still go for the Crows, but only just. Um, all right, another big game, Saturday evening at the Cattery. Geelong taking on Melbourne, both uh, in the bottom half of the eight, both desperate to stay there. Melbourne... Had that famous win over the Cats down there, 2015, the arrival of Max Gorn onto the AFL scene, um, but always hard to win at the Cattery. Who wins? I'm going to tip Geelong. Oh, this is one of those games that skew the ladder at the end of the year that I talk about. I think Geelong, 
Oh, they're big outs for Melbourne. Not Viney as much, but Hibbard. Geez, important yeah. to them. If you're not across that, Hibbard uh, did his quad at training on Wednesday. So um, I was talking to Jake Melksham last night, actually, at the Montrose Footy Club Sportsman's Night, and uh, he reckons probably three weeks at a minimum. Is Troy Simmons still at Montrose? No. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. The snake man? Uh, no, it's actually Ryan Bastanak's dad is the coach. Peter, I think it's Peter Bastanak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going all right. They're, uh, sort of lower half of the ladder, but they've won their last two in a row. They've won five, I think. So, uh, battling away in first division. Do you know where Montrose is in what it was named after? No, but you're going to tell me yeah, very it's, quickly. It's Scotland. Montrose. <laughs> Okay. I think there's one in Canada Scottish as well. Town. In fact, I think there's a band called Montrose. No, stop it. Roy, Got to get on with it. The Duke of Montrose. Okay, let's go to... Oh, hang on. I didn't give a tip. Um, Geelong. I always tip Geelong at Geelong. You have to. Uh, Sunday, Carlton taking on Hawthorne. Hawks uh, on a bounce-back mission after a very un-Hawthorne-like fade-out against Brisbane last week. And the Blues... Well, they've just stunk it up. And funnily enough, just talking to a couple of Carlton people, they sort of, they're not pumping themselves up and saying we're going to win this, but they are more confident about this game than others they've been in of late. And I think lately they've, they've, <laughs> no, I think lately. So they prefer playing Hawthorne than playing Gold Coast, uh, Fremantle, Brisbane and St Kilda. I think that they feel that they match up okay against Hawthorne. Okay. Who wins? <laughs> Awful. I'll tell you what, if Carlton win that, or we'll, we'll play that bit of audio back. I'm going for the Hawks, uh, not by 100 points. Where, but, it's at Eddie Head? Yeah, it's at Eddie Head. Remember that day that they played and it was a sellout, you just couldn't get in? No. Yeah, that happened a few years ago. It was a night game. Yeah. They got over 50,000 to a Carlton Hawthorne game. What People happened were in the game? People. And, I mean, not not neither of the, it was the last year Carlton made the finals, you know, but they weren't a super team, and it was just, by default or under their own steam. Under their own, the, under their own. Well, last steam. time they made it under their own steam was two thousand eleven. I mean, it did, and there is a famous Carlton Hawthorne game at Eddie Head in recent well, several, years. There's several. Oh, the Buddy Franklin Favola. Oh, Favola. Yeah, That's, you know, Clarko marks that as his only regret in. He coaching. didn't let Fev get his hundred goals. Oh, but he was so mean spirited. Yeah. All right, uh, we both think Hawthorne very comfortably. West Coast at home uh, now, of course, without Nick Nat. Um, I still, I think they can survive that. I think Lysett's a very, very good backup, and they also have um, Nathan Vardy and potentially Fraser McInnes can be the second ruck. Bulldogs, jeez, uh, they're doing this. They're sort of doing a lesser version of what Gold Coast are doing, which is being competitive Play for, for half. Yeah. Um, they were miserable in the second half against Melbourne. I think Melbourne kicked seven in about 12 and a half minutes. So at home, got to be West Coast comfortably, surely. Yeah, just on Lysette. Lysette sounds like something that you bleach your bathroom floors with. That <laughs> It says, if if consumed, contact <laughs> medical health immediately. You know, do not, under any circumstances, let your children near the Lysette. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was a baby lice. No, no. <laughs> a, baby, a baby louse. Yeah. Um, oh, see, that's a, no, yeah. that's a knit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we N- talk some drivel. <laughs> um, last game of the round. It's funny, a knit, a knit nap. <laughs> <laughs> a knit nap. Um, all right. Uh, apologies, everyone. This is almost the most important game of the round. I don't know how we get back on track. Uh, Port Adelaide, GWS. Massive ramifications for the eight, finally. Both yeah, halves big game. of the eight. Port lost a top four spot last week with that loss to Frio. GWS went from, I think, 10th to, what, 6th with that win over Richmond. Need to keep winning, obviously. Port must win to get that uh, shot at the top four back. Um, so that'll lay over. 4.40 Sunday. Uh, who wins? I'm tipping GWS. Yeah? Yep. I, I, I know... Port back on home soil, stung by a poor performance last weekend, will be far more competitive. We have to wait to see whether Robbie Gray can come up. We know that... What's the prognosis at this stage, at yes. time of recording? Yes. Jeez, it was... Um, he deserved three for that, didn't he? A merciless dump. Yeah, it was that was ordinary. It was shithouse by now, house. Yeah, yeah, it was. To put... 
put it simply. Um, so why GWS? Because, you know what, they are a talented team. Yeah. And I think they showed a lot of character against Richmond. Richmond were not terrible mm. in that game. No, no, they weren't. That, that, that had a finals feel about it. Yep. And look, I'm just trying to sort of be true to myself, where I still think that there are misses in the Port Adelaide machine. You and I look at Port Adelaide very differently. And if I'm going to be true to myself and say that they're not quite up to, I'm not saying final standard, but top four standard, then I have to be true and say that GWS has something that Port Adelaide doesn't. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So I'm tipping GWS. Okay, um, you, you're right. We I've been a rep for Port all season, so I think to be true to myself, yeah, Mark, I need to stick with them. Look, they've won, they'd won prior to last week. They'd won seven out of eight, and the one loss was by a kick to yeah. Hawthorne. So yeah. their form remains pretty good. Um, you know, they didn't get smashed by Freo, and it was in Perth. They're on home and, and turf, they, and they had, you know, there were mitigating. Circumstance. No rider, which Big makes loss. it a lot harder. But they have no rider now. So does that mean Dixon rucks? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do there. I'm not sure GWS are sort of flush with outstanding rucks either. So No, no Dawson Simpson's more a stopper. So if he has no one to stop, what does he do? He just stops himself? Yeah, he just sort of lumbers <laughs> around yeah. looking for an opponent. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm sticking with the power, but I think it'll be a great game uh, and certainly one with huge ramifications for the top eight. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, never again. All right. Uh, now, just an, a little insight here, people. I often have trouble coming up with material for this one. Finding's always got a million of these, but I, I, I have thought one. Never again will I attempt to explain myself on Twitter to every peanut who can't understand some um, gentle irony because I tweeted out something about the Aaliyah Aaliyah Magic Door matchup last Sunday. It was sort of a reference to Channel 7 uh, saying, uh, gee, there's a, a group of intimidating Sudanese guys clustering at Etihad Stadium. Most people got it, but unfortunately, when you have any sort of... So, uh, some people actually thought I was being serious. Can you believe... Like, how dumb would you have to be to think that was a serious comment? Anyway, after three hours of waiting through all these responses going, no, I was being sarcastic, uh, I figured the... uh, I I sort of realised the futility of attempting to explain yourself to a large crowd of people who aren't going to understand your explanation and probably don't want to understand your explanation because their primary motivation is just wanting to give you a whack. So never again will I justify what I tweet. But that that's the beauty of sarcasm, that sarcasm is like a giant sieve for IQ. I mean, if you <laughs> make a sarcastic comment to a large group of people, the idea is that some people won't understand that it's sarcasm yeah, and it's like you know, it's like sieving the smart from the yeah. No, well, you're right, but unfortunately, from the, unfortunately, from after, the hindered. Well, after this example, I had um, about two liters of boiling water on the floor and about three grains of rice in the sieve. So you found that there was more hindered than intelligent. Well, on Sunday afternoon, there was. Just remember that the hindered tend to. Do you like that term I use, the hindered? Yeah. Because other terms have be, become so politically yes. incorrect that yes. you can't touch them. So I've come up with my own term. The hindered tend to rattle on a lot louder than the silent, more intelligent majority. Yes, they do, including some quite high-profile hindered people finding with uh, political views sort of lurching towards the extreme right. High-profile or just high? Oh, basketballs. They're, they're high or tall. Yeah. Uh, uh, your turn. Okay. Uh, never again will this former umpire, and I really believed this until the weekend, um, claim to know every rule in the AFL and what a decision should be. Can I run one past you? Yep. That I'm still completely befuddled by? Yep. Port Adelaide Freo, end of the game, doesn't really matter all that much. Port Adelaide player is running with the ball, and he's closing in on the 50-metre arc. Yeah. And just before he gets there, the umpire blows the whistle to say that he has travelled too far. Yeah. The instant after that, he launches the kick 
which lands in the goal square. Mm. It's marked by a Frio player who then handballs it to a teammate and they start careering around the outer side of the ground mm. and the umpire calls advantage. Is that advantage? No. The ball was kicked 50 metres. In the long. wrong direction. Well, it was kicked in the right direction by the port. But yeah, the in the wrong direction kick, for the side that won the free kick. So in one way, because it is continuous play, which is the definition of advantage, mm. and it definitely was an advantage to the free, even though they were 50 metres negative on the ground, it was to their advantage to continue the ball around the outer because we know that teams lose meterage to cross, to, to switch play. Yeah. So they got an easy switch. But I'm just wondering, given that the free kick was for running too far. Yeah. You see, we normally, the free kick normally goes to somebody. Let's say you're running with the ball, you get tackled high and you handball it. Yeah. It's called advantage because it's your free and you've handballed it. Yeah. But if it's a free against, are you allowed to kick the ball and then have advantage? No. So no. you, you would have said it should have come back. Absolutely. I'm still confused by it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? They, they, um, and we can't, don't have time now, but that whole advantage, I've noticed this year the policing of the advantage seems very confused. There are times when the player takes the advantage, gets into trouble, and the umps will give them the benefit of a doubt and it comes back, and other times they don't. Jonathan Brown said something extraordinary two weeks ago that hasn't been explored. He said that he asked an umpire about advantage, and there's no oh, yeah, advantage from a stoppage. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. But it hasn't been expanded upon. He said he asked an AFL umpire and had a stoppage situation. So when there's a free kick at a stoppage. Like from a ruck, yeah. from a ruck play, or yeah. maybe when the ball's tapped down. Yeah. You know, a clearance free kick. I don't understand. claim there's no advantage from that. Well, I don't know that that's right, and I don't understand what the rationale for that would be. What would it be? I don't know, but it should, it should be explored. If, if Mate, is it because, well, I guess the rationale would have to be that everyone is standing still. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the rationale is that a whistle at a stoppage demands a stop in play. Okay, so you're, to get back to the premise, your never again is? That I know every rule and how it should be interpreted, because I really thought I did. Okay. It's been an interesting year on the umpiring front. All right, uh, that wraps us up for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. We had some interesting discussions this week. For you. I think uh, I'm quite happy with this one. Hopefully you are too. This show You've got one last thing. Of course you have. Oh, I was just saying this show was not Nye House. <laughs> no, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, nice little pun to finish. All right, enjoy the footy, everyone. May your team win um, and may your football be good football. Good night.